and welcome back to Free Reeling. If this is the last episode of this year, 2021, um, with me today, who me, I'm Jesse. Uh, with me today is my co-host, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hi, Matthew. I, I, haven't been, I haven't been doing a whole lot today, just baking cookies. Maybe it's the heat of the oven that's uh, giving me this like slow brain. Uh, I mean, that could be because baking requires precision and attention. Um, and also your cookies look amazing. So clearly you've worked rather hard on them so that, you you know, working hard does expend some energy regardless of the task. So, uh, but I, but I, I'm going to hijack this intro and I'm going to introduce our guest. We have the wonderful Maddie Lewis from the pod hand and, uh, writing various outlets (laughs) And uh, writing, but I, yeah. I'm I'm distracted because what the hell did you make us watch, Maddie? <laughs> <laughs> so we're so, gonna be talking um, about the Northman trailer uh, for the next <laughs> hour. I mean, I very easily could. Oh, I um, consensually watched the Northman trailer. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> you could have said no at any time. Um, I, see, that's, I that's not I, what we do. <laughs> I didn't read at all what this movie was i just i I saw okay what are we watching Uh, i looked at the schedule i'm like okay this movie and i was like where can i watch it oh nowhere maybe it's on youtube i checked it's on youtube cool i'll hit play and i'm like i get like about maybe 15 minutes in i go what what is this movie (laughs) and then i look it up and i go oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) well see the funny thing is i'd seen this before oh and i'm because when Maddie talked to me about it, I was like, man, I've not thought about that movie in forever. I did not realize how much of this movie I just blocked out of my mind. Probably for good reason. I mean, in retrospect, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so talk to us about, talk to us about the movie starring Sting and, Dr. Marcus Brody from Indiana Jones. Do we even say what the name of the movie is yet? It's called know. Brimstone and Treacle. Yeah, I don't think we have. <laughs> <laughs> it's from 1982. It's pre the police blowing up and, you know, touring the world. They with were on tour while he was making this movie. Oh, yeah, I know. But it's, it was pre synchronicity. That, that was when they really sort of went global. Where do we we even start with this movie? So um, I would like to tell the story of how I even became aware of this movie, right? The floor is yours. I have been a like colossal Sting fan since I was probably like nine or ten, okay? Um, Which I realize is like an extremely like bizarre thing to hear from someone who's younger than like 45, but... (laughs) Well, yeah. we're all younger than 45 on this podcast. <laughs> Me just barely. So thank you so much. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm like a huge Sting fan. Sting was like one of my early like childhood crushes. And I heard about this movie just because like I'm such a big fan of Sting. And uh, there's nowhere to watch it for like the longest time. Like it wasn't on streaming anywhere. You couldn't find it in like a blockbuster or a, a movie store or anything I couldn't find mm-hmm. it so I just resigned myself to knowing that this movie was out there but I might never actually get a chance to see it um 
And then like, I don't know, a month or two ago, uh, the host of Bad Books for Bad People, which is a great podcast that I'm going to plug despite not really having any um, any work or anything in there. Uh, I, I just am mutuals with the, the host and he posted about watching it and it was on YouTube and I'm like, well, shit, now's my chance. I've been wanting to watch this movie since I was probably like 12 years old. Movie night for Maddie. <laughs> movie night for Maddie. And um, I will say my crush on Sting remains intact. However, had I seen this movie when I originally became aware of it at about like 12, I don't know if that would be the case. I don't, I was, I was not as strong of stuff as I am now. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I saw so this movie, is, in, I saw this movie in my twenties and I'm not sure I was made of strong enough stuff. Then, so, And uh, I wanted to talk about it because it is, um, it is a deeply unpleasant film. It has just like the most like astonishingly fucked vibes in any movie that I've seen in quite some time that like, this is more fucked than most horror movies that I've seen. I guess yeah. maybe technically it's kind of a horror movie, but like, you know, ones that are actually trying to really scare you. What, what's weird um, is like, watching this movie, it feels- It's not even very good, but like- No, I'm it's very not very good at all. I'm very compelled by it. Like the way it's filmed and the soundtrack and the acting levels, even though like there's some really good, like, I, I think Sting is doing his best. Um, He's been better in other things. Yeah, it's just, it, it reminds me of all of the really low-budget Christian movies I grew up watching. <laughs> which Oh, that's is, a good, that's a good that. shout. That's which is, a good which shout. is funny because of how, like, this movie is about morals so hard. Like, like this movie's key thing is, like, what, Ooh, yeah. what's moral? <laughs> yeah. Or, or what's the most immoral thing you can be doing? Yeah, yeah, it's um, a lot. <laughs> this um, movie swings out a lot of fences. We should say right now before <laughs> before we get any closer that this movie uh, deals with sexual assault. Yes, um, is very tone deaf when it comes to the kind of disabilities in some ways. Yes, um, and it's just it's not good. <laughs> it's not really no. good. But if you have an hour and a half, which that's that's a plus in this movie's uh in this movie's it's not queue. very long it's not yeah, very it's, long it's was, 83 minutes it's i was surprised 80. how fast i burned through it um yeah it, it, it's worth watching just to kind of see some really some really cool ideas that don't fully work <laughs> and by fully yeah. i mean barely <laughs> so i'm generally uh i'm not always but i'm generally in the anti-remake camp um, I'm tired of seeing them remake the same freaking movie like 12 times, especially when it was really good the first time. So like there really wasn't anything to improve on particularly. I am going to go to bat for this movie. I would kill to see a remake, like an A24 Brimstone and Treacle. I would fucking kill for that. Just make Sting the dad this time. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. You, you know, I you everything in my being wants to argue with you, but I really don't have any like solid statements that I could counter you with. Like, I feel like that's probably the way to go. I, was, I think the movie has a lot of really 
interesting thematic ideas and like the script itself is really not all that bad um but the quality of the acting is kind of like not super great most of the movie and the cinematography is definitely not super great um the soundtrack has some bangers i will say that but um it's it's some of them are by sting so of course it does um well, it has some of the most misplaced bangers as well. Yes, <laughs> it's very because awkward like music cues like 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 that scene where they pl- where it plays "We Got the Beat" by the Go Go's. I'm like, wow, this is certainly a choice. Oh yeah, it rocks Be- actually. <laughs> because Sting is putting on uh, Mumsy's jewelry, and I don't remember if this is pre or post her first or his first encounter with patty but that doesn't go over very well and oh man that's it's it's this movie's a vibe in a very unpleasant one in a very a very like a very fucked vibe it's one of those movies where like it's warping reality in a way too that is really cool and, and again, ideal form, and especially for 1982. Um, yeah. But I, I do wish there was a remake just because the, the modern sense of warping reality is so much cleaner and, and more fascinating, more interesting, and more like visually, you can do a lot more to kind of shift realities like they do in this where like when he's praying and it looks like he's summoning a demon basically that's but like in- the coolest scene in the whole movie that's the yeah. one scene where i'm like okay this actually fucking smacks yeah and then um, in reality it's just a very kind of calm thing happening like i i would like more flair to that or the same thing where the dad the dad's having the nightmare and like everything's kind of shifting in the nightmare like i get what they're going for and it's really cool ideas but visually it's kind of boring yeah, the cinematography in it is, it's very clear that this movie did not have all that high of a budget. Um, like, the cast, I don't know, like, Sting is so, the most notable person in the cast, and he's not really an actor, he, though he's yeah. done a couple movies and a couple things so, like it. So, I have some thoughts about just, like, the outward production of this movie. Like, I wouldn't say I grew up in the most the most cultured of houses, but I did grow up around a lot of British TV, believe it or not. And this looks like upscale budget of a British TV like movie. I mean, oh, no, so, like for sure. Yeah. This looks like, like something you would see on PBS for Masterpiece Theater. Like that's the that's the look they're kind of going for, except it's not a period piece. It's just 1982 um you know sting looks like the same sting that was in the don't stand so close to me video like he looks exactly like he looks exactly like that and it's Uh, very good yeah it's i mean you're not wrong (laughs) but and i feel like that's also the wardrobe choices they give him as well (laughs) which is real weird um but uh and Denholm, um, Elliot, and I forget the I forget the woman. I, her last name is Plowthright or Plowthright. They both. I'm pretty sure they both come from the like Hammer Horror school of like uh, of like like that's been their sort of history. Mm-hmm. 
And what the, if if you don't know what that means, that's probably like the Roger Corman company in the in the mid seventies where it was it was uh, there were probably B tier features that there B tier features that had like real talent in them that would go on to be great like um like barbara hershey started there uh pam greer started there um folks like that uh and i think probably a24 is probably the modern equivalent of hammer with the exception of a24 seems like it has a budget though i was about to say early a24 is definitely hammer where like they were just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what would stick yeah yeah exactly and seeing i know i honestly know very little about a24 um i'm trying to learn though because uh i've I've not been up on film for the past like five or six years as much as i would like to be but that's you know yeah i basically know if a24 does a horror or fantasy movie i will go see it like pretty much no questions Mm -hmm. um because I, i i if nothing else their movies always have like a visual appeal to them. Um, right. So like, even if I don't really care for the movie all that much in the end, at least I will be looking at something that was visually interesting instead of like another fucking green screened uh, warehouse fight. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and actually uh, that is why I think that uh, the ideal studio to do if someone decided to be brave enough to do a remake of this film, A24 would be this the studio it would need to, or the production company it would need to. I guess they're more of a distributor. That's who it would I mean, be. Wh- what if well, let's okay, you know, we we've all seen the Northman trailer. What if Ed what if Eggers did this movie? I, I don't think this would be a movie. I don't that, think it's his style. It's a little this, too modern. This is definitely um, a movie. Actually, um, you know, know what? Hold on. What were you going to say? Hold that thought. Same plot. Make it more of a period piece. Well, I was going to say, this is something that Ari Aster would eat up. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, it's probably more... It's probably more... I would say, yeah, like, material-wise, it's probably more Ari Aster. But style-wise, I prefer Robert Eggers. Yeah, I just think if someone's going to take up this kind of story, he's he he. Robert Eggers' stuff is dark, but it's not like this it's not dark. like this. Yeah. yeah, where Ari Aster stuff tends to deal with this darkness. Um, okay, okay. So here, Ari Aster, yeah. you get you get to direct this. Eggers, you get to bring all your weird. I- you get to bring all your weird ideas with cinematography. We'll shoot it in four three. Do some old lenses. Let's see what let's see what we can make happen. Everything's miniatures. Um, yeah, a twenty four. You have just been given an idea. Call us. Uh, you know, honestly, Annapurna making twelve minutes and how <laughs> messed up twelve minutes. Oh is. fuck! Don't bring that back. Oh uh, god, no. Annapurna should just make this a video game. Um, no, but, <laughs> no. Annapurna is uh, a publisher, not a developer. Oh uh, yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I actually, <laughs> I don't think that this. I, I actually think now that I'm thinking about what director would I give this to if someone was going to remake it, um, I don't know that she would. However, if she did, Jennifer Kent. 
She did I'm the Babadook familiar. and the Nightingale. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Um, t- speaking about how this feels like a BBC production, though, Matthew, um, mm-hmm. it was. Like, the the, the, the... the play that it's based on. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. originally filmed as a BBC One movie. And mm-hmm. then they said, nah, fam. Um, and they never aired it. And then they made this after the play finished doing its run. Um, right. And it's the same dad in both. Yeah, Den O'Malley so is the same guy. I, I feel like the they just character. got like a little bit more budget. And they're like, okay, just make something we could put in theaters. Well, the, well, I mean, I looked at the, I looked, I didn't, I did look into the original play and it looks like they replaced and I, I'm just being facetious here, yeah. but it looks like the original actor looked like the front man for Ario Speedwagon. They just Makes replaced sense. him with Sting and said, well, that's okay, I'm fair. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I mean, I, I definitely prefer Don't Stand So Close to Me over We Can't Fight This Feeling anymore. So <laughs> you have Sting as your actor, though, and you don't get him for the music department. It's very upsetting. Oh, he has some of the songs. Uh, the songs are in there. He just doesn't do any of the score. It's like, come on, give give the the that, something to do. Well, you also was, have to remember this is this this is 1982. The police has just started becoming famous, and yeah. and like I think this was probably Stuart Copeland, and I can't remember the I cannot remember the guitarist for the police right now. This, um, this one. I feel really bad because uh, I can't either. But basically, like this is their pro. This is probably their entryway into production and and uh, soundtrack work. Because I think post breakup, that's what Copeland and the other guy would do. Oh, speaking of uh, a soundtrack work, a uh, fun little police trivia: Stuart Copeland did the soundtrack for the first Spyro the Dragon game. Yes, I did know that. I I I don't I, I figured probably at least one of you guys would know that, but maybe someone listening won't. So that's a fun little trivia. Oh, that that's um, a, yeah, that is pretty hilarious. I, I also like that trivia too. Like at the at the end of basically the police's run that Stuart Copeland hated Sting so much, he just had to have Sting on his drums as he was playing. That's that's the kind of spite that I uh, aspire to. Aspire to. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's sort of the beauty of that band was how much they all hated each other. Yet they yet they were able to make it work. Yeah. But anyway, we're get, we're we're drifting away here. This thing was um, nominated for a Gold Hugo, which I assume is not near the prestigious a Hugo Award. But it is fascinating. This was nominated for three awards and won one of them. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think this movie is worth nominating for anything. But it is. I I I I am glad that I watched it in the sense of like. Man, it's fascinating that movies like this exist. I don't think it would honestly come out today uh, in the form that it's in. Like, I don't think they would release it. It's hard to say because I know the duel, the last duel that just came out recently has pretty egregious stuff like this, but... Oh, I actually really want to see that. It looks sick. Yeah, Um, but it makes me wonder, like, what what makes the last duel something that kind of... Not that the last duel made a bunch of money. That's not really the point but it had like a it, bad advertising campaign yeah like, but it came out anything. though and it makes me wonder like would this work because it's interesting story-wise it would probably be a low budget a24 type thing but um does the does the period matter because i think the last duel kind of got a pass because it's historically set somewhere interesting and it's historic based off history and stuff where this is just kind of like a playwright being depressed and writing a really depressing play because he's depressed and this is what comes out. 
Yeah, this is basically Evangelion, but not Evangelion. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I don't know. Andy but, Summers but, is the guitarist in The Police, by the thank way. Thank you. I, I knew it was, <laughs> I knew it was, it was something mur- it was, like that. It was tearing me up inside. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I, I feel bad saying this, but he's kind of, to me, like the least consequential guy in The Police. He's I mean, fine. I th- I think I think I think yeah, he's probably the middle ground between the two, between Stuart Copeland and Sting. But uh, but yeah, you're, I don't I I think he's kind of important in terms of an '80s guitarist, but that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. Um, I realize I think the more I'm talking about this movie, the more I'm talking myself into actually liking it. And thinking yeah, it's good, I don't actually. Think I don't like this movie, which is f- funny because I should like Kill Us more, and I think, and I think we talked about. It. I do like Kill Us more after watching Possessor and stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. I like the first response to this movie is like, I didn't hate the time I had with it. It was a good way to like end my night in a way. Like, I felt okay with it. Um, my issue was I just wanted it to be better. That's the thing is like I think the story is good enough that I wanted it to be better. There's good bones here, I think. I think the yeah. like the play structure and everything is really well done. It's it's tone deaf, but I think if anything from '82 is going to be tone deaf in some of these areas. Yeah, um, I think the uh, the the thematic questions that it deals with, I think, are the strongest part because you have. Um, so I guess I should probably like sort of summarize the plot of this movie. Yeah, we kind um, of been da- bouncing around it, trying not to say what yeah. it's about. Um. So it is this older couple, their daughter who you, you, she's probably in like her mid twenties um, yeah. has been in kind of like a, basically, a, I don't know if this is the correct term for this anymore, but like kind of a vegetative state mm-hmm. after a really bad car accident. And wouldn't, um, no, I wouldn't necessarily say she's a vegetable though. No, like she's, she's she's just I I mean I know they used to say like she's bedridden, um she requires constant care she was hit by a truck, and yeah she can't uh, really like she can make noise but she can't really talk yeah or she's communicate. she has tons of n- motor neuro and um uh just uh, there's a there's another system that I'm trying to come up with but i can't this why i'm not a doctor um she has tons of motor neural consequences where she can't communicate uh she doesn't she doesn't seem to require any like sort of feeding tube but she clearly doesn't get up and walk around um and she and yeah she does not she does not speak yeah Uh, and she just makes um, noise there's some doubt as to like what level she's cognizant of the things that are going on around her yeah because the, the the mother thinks that she does understand and like can understand what people are saying around her um the father thinks that she's just basically mentally gone like there's mm-hmm. there's nothing there um and that actually kind of forms the crux of the thematic um concerns of this movie because you have this the father who is like just like a very very pessimistic doubting kind of person Uh, and then you have the mother who is like trying to look so hard on the bright side and believe that you know her baby girl is gonna gonna come back and like you know wake up basically again 
-hmm. And um, so it's kind of like a faith versus lack of like a, like a total faith for faith versus total lack of faith sort of movie. Um, but at the same time, they're both wrong. Like neither yeah. of them is actually correct in the end. They're both like kind of shitty people in their own way. <laughs> Oh yeah, they're, they're, the short-sightedness on both sides is very real. Um, um, so they, they have this, this uh, their daughter is in this like bedridden, non-communicative state and uh, the father runs into Sting's character who is like, oh, don't I know you? And like basically like plays in and realizes he has a daughter and it's kind of like conning him into being able to, to, to see the daughter and like, pretending that they knew each other in college and he had um like asked her to marry him and she said well you know I'll think about it and the reason he didn't know about her accident was because he was away in the United States for three years at art college or something like that and mm -hmm. so he's trying to ingratiate himself with the parents so he can like prey on the daughter and it's basically my interpretation is that he's like the like literally the devil they don't like ever outright show anything like that but like that's my interpretation of the character um and at least twice i think there's one part where the the father and sting's character first meet and he's like well don't you know me and he's like i don't know you from adam you could be the devil himself for all i know and i think mm -hmm. like it's a little on the nose, but I think that's kind of what the interpretation you're supposed to have is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has like a very weird kind of like, it has a folktale vibe, even though the setting of the story is like contemporary to when the film was made. Um, like there's not really any indication that it was supposed to be like an earlier time than the movie was made. Um, but it feels like a folktale um yeah 100 percent. and i think maybe that's that's the the reason i like it so much is that it does feel like it has that surreal kind of fairy tale logic to it where uh but all of these people are just kind of punished for their for their um for their their human failings and uh it's it's great it's you know what I, i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna just, I'm mean, just gonna say, you know what? This movie's great. It sucks, but it's great. <laughs> I do this every time, like I talk about a movie that I'm kind of like so-so on. I go, I circle around to like, no, actually, this movie's great. I'm really good at talking myself into liking things. <laughs> I am too. That's like the kind of thing where I see like people start like dogging on something, and I'm like, yeah, but but I like, but it's but it's some fun, <laughs> right? I'm having. Uh, and fun is something I should not probably associate with this movie, but as long as I'm having an entertaining time in some way, I'm not going to dog on anything. I could say it's bad, but I'm not going to say I think it's bad. Oh, yeah. I, th I mean, the like, I, I came away from this movie and I'm like, wow, there's so much of this movie I just did not remember. But... I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't want to do the whole knowing what I know now about cinema thing, because I don't know if I know a lot or a little, but like, like, like it's been said a couple, one or two times in this episode, I didn't have, I, I didn't want to, I didn't force myself to finish it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, 
a chore it's not like, to finish. Yeah, it's not like an endurance test to finish the movie. Like it goes yeah. along, it's pretty brisk. Um, and there's nothing in it that's like, I think maybe the thing I like best about this movie is how it manages to convey such like this skin crawling, like awful feeling, despite the fact that there's no gore at all. Like it's not gory or bloody or violent um, really at all. Uh, there's nothing really all that explicit, just like in general. There is a, a rape scene, but it's not like very explicit. It's no. upsetting, but it's not like- Oh yeah. It's very upsetting, but it's not like, it's not filmed. Like I would compare like one where I thought it was filmed in a way that was kind of like gross would be like, if you've seen the American Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie. Oh, 100%. Like, or like I, Straw Dogs. Or, I haven't seen Straw uh, Dogs. Yeah. Or but... um, if you've ever seen Irreversible. like No, yeah. I, I, I have not. Um, that's one that just sounds like a not fun time at all. And I'm like, I don't think that there's enough here to make me feel compelled to watch the rest of this movie. However, with brimstone and treacle i feel like there is enough there to make me kind of like not put aside but like or even not even go along with but like i'm not put off by as put off by the stuff in it that's unpleasant because i think it does serve kind of a thematic purpose and well i don't think it's like perfect and deftly handled i don't think there is like i don't think there's a way to handle that kind of subject material without offending or upsetting or making somebody mad like there's yeah. you're you're going to um yeah and i don't think that means you shouldn't do it uh I mean, when you play in and when you, when you play in the darkness you have to get into it there's no there's no way around it you can't hang out in the light and like poke mm-hmm. at the darkness it doesn't really work like that 100 percent. but uh so this scene opens or th- this scene this movie opens in a way that makes it makes no sense if you've not finished the movie <laughs> like and i and this is going to sound really freaking silly but it it opens with like a printing press just printing pages while a, a children's choir is singing when the role is called up yonder. Like the opening, the opening credit scene is so weird to me. It's very and, tonally jarring. Like I understand yeah. that in the um the 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 song at the end of Spread the a Little Happiness by Pink yeah. by Sting. No, it's by Sting. And I've like, heard Sting, that yeah. song before, and it's, it's definitely not my favorite of his songs, but I heard before, and it seems like really cheerful, like if you don't know the context of the film. And then 100%. when you watch the film, it is like the most sinister, like fucking sarcastic thing. Yeah, and it, uh, it made me actually appreciate it more. Um, yeah, this and, is a, this is a, this film's a trip <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, and uh, the other song that they do, that is is a Sting song that is in this film. I is, for you. Yes, which is actually one of my favorite songs of his, and mm-hmm. it is 
so, so different when you see the movie versus if you've just heard the songs. It's, it just sounds like a kind of sexy love song. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just hearing it. It's a very pretty song. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. And... <laughs> Uh, then in the context and, that they use in the movie, and it's then just you, like, oh. you see him basically prey on a helpless girl, <laughs> and ooh, boy. Uh, so yeah, this so 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 this movie basically has it all. It's um, the only the only way I could ever see like like man, I am watching this movie and. Sing is feeling up this girl and it's the most repugnant thing I've ever seen. And this is like not something I would normally think. This is the only way you could make, you could make like an explicit scene with Sting unappealing to me. I'm like, man, this sucks. This is gross. <laughs> like, no, but seriously, it has it all. It has two credit sequences that are the most miscalculated and jarring things. Oh, I think they're um, perfectly calculated. I think they're supposed to be that jarring. Uh, so yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. But anyway, so you've got, you've got weird credit sequence, piece of bread up front, weird credit sequence, piece of bread in the back. And then you've got the meat of this sandwich that includes weirdly timed go-go's and squeeze, like two songs that are like, we got the beat and up the junction that are pretty much considered among the best songs of the decades they came out in which i both of them came out in the 80s if i remember correctly um and then you have that so this is just a trigger for me but that weird jesus painting yeah at the bottom of their staircase like it it, ever since i saw the movie carrie for the first time and you see that creepy crucifix with the eyes that just sort of see through everything uh this creepy Jesus is worse than that to me. <laughs> it's a very and, creepy Jesus. Oh man. Uh so yeah, this movie has it all. It has weird <laughs> weird credit sequences, weirdly timed 80s hits and creepy Jesus. Yeah, the other thing that's kind of interesting about the credit sequence is as the song's playing, they're just like showing like pic- uh between the, you know, actually showing the, the credits credits, it's pictures of a book and it's just like it looks like just like fairy tale illustrations. Yeah. And I think that actually is a really interesting choice too, because I don't think that you're supposed to view this film as like a realistic kind of slice of life movie. It's definitely, I think, supposed to be viewed as like a folk tale. Um, oh sure. And that, like that, like that's. Uh, so I think if you go into the movie with the knowledge that it's not the best in terms of acting and cinematography is like functional but not great uh and the soundtrack has some weird choices but is otherwise pretty good um but if you go into it and think i'm i'm watching a folk tale like an 80s folk tale you'll probably get a better experience out of it than if you go in and you're expecting like a realistic drama or something like that yeah i'm well i don't know if it's um I don't know if it's because I've seen this movie in the past couple months, but have we all seen the Japanese house from the seventies? Oh yeah. House rocks. Okay. So, so I think the, the cinematography in this film and that film are very similar, but I 
but like I think in house it's sort of playing up the this is like a Saturday morning cartoon angle or this is yeah a, it's it's, it's campier is, and weirder this is a, this is a this is a somehow a primetime TV show whereas I think the, the the way that it comes across in Brimstone and Treacle it is like we're not trying to we're not trying to immerse you we're trying to create a very clearly defined this is fake sort of vibe which kind of which kind of almost makes me I'm kind of, it's kind of pulling me into a similar territory with you Maddie where it's just like I think I like that choice and I think that choice sort of makes the movie in a way where as if it if, if this were um if, if this were I, I don't want to say a, a more serious more so, grounded maybe like i don't like if this were if this were if this were handled by you know I'll, I'll say it a better director with better actors uh this would be bad like capital b bad what front to back you know farm to table bad whereas a lot of the choices here and it it just it just seems it it, it plays into the folk tale-ish but it seems like it's very clearly decorating a veneer of like this is this is fake none of this is real and then you, you get into the messing with time the way it cuts around different scenes or the way it cuts between like different dream sequences between sting and denim elliott uh like i think there's a there's a steadier hand at work here than uh, at, than at first meets the eye. Having said all that, does that make it good? I don't know. Does it make me like it more? Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, more and more falling into the camp of Brimstone and Treacle is good, actually. Um, <laughs> though some of the acting is pretty indefensible. Like, Oh, oh hell yeah. Although I think... It, like the the like extreme obvious artifice of Sting's character, like trying to do the like whole like golly gee like wholesome soft boy thing, like how extremely artificial that seems. <laughs> I think that was intentional because I've seen him in. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen. There's a movie called The Bride that's like a Bride of Frankenstein movie, and Sting is in that, and he's much better in that than he is in this, at least to my recollection. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Um, He's also super hot in that movie. Uh, well, I mean, this but, this wasn't this wasn't his first like foray either. Like he had been in he was in Quadrophenia, yeah, <laughs> and which I still and, have like, not seen. So um, I haven't either. I saw it a long time ago. Uh, it'd be one. Of, it's definitely a film I don't remember a lot of, but I am a, I do like that album a lot, but. Uh, they don't put Sting in the movie representation of what is considered a landmark album by The Who without thinking he can hang. Yeah. Like in, in that movie, he is not like, just, it's not him just like, oh, he's hot, blonde, and, you know, the police have a couple of hits, so we have to put him in a movie. It's very similar. I, I think Sting in Quadrophenia is very similar to Harry Styles and Dunkirk. Like they're not putting him in there because. He's a pretty face to look at. Yeah. They have, yeah, there's actual, like, some level of talent. 
but but then 100%. putting in dune is like putting harry styles in the internals where it's like well now we have a name to put in this movie <laughs> Uh, I, you, you know, I can see that, yeah. But, stay, but you know, Sting is... Uh, speaking of Sing being able to hang, um, in the... Uh, in Dune, the scene where his character like kind of comes out of the steam bath thing and has these... Um, like the, the kind of like iconic blue like leather-looking Speedo thing. Mm-hmm. So apparently, oh, yeah. originally, he was going to just be like completely like hanging dong in that scene like he said he was cool with it the director was cool with it apparently the studio at the last moment was like no you got to cover that shit up like of course we, we, we can't let sting hang dong and uh fuck them yeah i mean I, of, of course david lynch would be okay with hanging dong but you know uh but yeah like i i think that movie might be worse for that in that case they should have let like released the sting hanging dong cut. <laughs> release the hanging dong cut we know it exists release the curved cut i'm i'm i'm, I'm willing to uh i'm willing to willing to bully the uh bully the studio on twitter for that they can uh they can um they can go to my list with uh, Warner Brothers for not releasing Ken Russell's The Devils on DVD, um, which yep. is also something that is a big uh, fuck them uh, because The Devils rocks. If we get that That's- Steam cut, I would like a 2021 Dune cut where uh, we get more of uh, Stellan Skarsgård in the bath. <laughs> I would, I would yeah, love that. That'd be good. He That'd liked be being good. in it. I know there's more scenes with him in that bath. Oh, of course there is. Of I mean, course it was a pretty is. cool bath. I'd like to be in that bath, too. It looked pretty relaxing. It looked like a mud bath. It did. It looked nice. Well, I, I, I think we've kind of exhausted um, everything we could say about this movie, which is surprising because we've almost talked as long as this movie is. Um, <laughs> This movie. This movie. Uh, oh, okay, no, we have to talk about the end. We have to talk okay, about the end. The we ending, have to talk. We have to talk about this crazy as fuck ending. I think the ending is what frustrated me the most. Because, okay, so if anybody hasn't seen this and they want to, spoilers for like the next five minutes of the podcast. Yeah, maybe. Um So, Sting rapes <laughs> rapes the helpless woman. Yes, yes. And all of a sudden, that fixes her. Yeah, it's, it's it just doesn't fu- fix her. She just can talk again. But they uh, kind of set up that every time he kind of molests her, she gets more and more back to normal. And that, I don't know. Yeah. I know that we're talking about like Sting's character being the devil and that maybe like would play into that more that he has some kind of power that inadvertently heals through uh, abuse, which is uh, something that you could discuss. Um, but I, I think it is kind of frustrating that, but that he, he, he kind of gets away with everything. Um, and and I know that what the dad did is also pretty terrible, but I don't know something about it. Something about it doesn't sit with me. See, I think that's why it rocks. Actually, that he just gets away with everything um, because it's so fucking bleak. And so many other movies would like, like a lesser film would have him like get his comeuppance somehow. And this is like, nope. Here you are. Evil shit happens. 
it's going to keep happening because he kind of like starts setting up at the very end he's out on the street and ends up doing kind of like the same thing that he did with the first the 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 dad in the movie is like oh hey don't i know you and like but i think i think i think there's actually some comeuppets because i feel like the other person in that conversation is has made sting the mark because it's not sting doing the talking yeah it's the other other guy. guy so and and from what I can tell from the little we get of like Sting's energy in those final few frames, he doesn't look too happy about it. He's not thrilled. It, it feels like Sting is thrown off kilter at the end. Um, and, and it's interesting because someone see maybe someone feels that on him and now, now he's the next target for the devil. The devil moves on to somebody else to target him now. I don't, I don't know it's very interesting that ending is a bit weird where like he's not the one conning the next person it seems like someone else is not going to try to con him well i mean that's just a classic devil story structure the first time the devil cons you the next time someone else cons the devil or you con the devil it's it's just a classic but it still has that kind of like the cycle just perpetuates itself like it doesn't really go away or get better it just maybe happens to someone else Mm-hmm. And um, I think too many movies now um, want to give you an ending that no matter how bad the rest of the movie is, they like, especially movies that aren't like strictly horror movies, because a, a horror movie proper will sometimes let, let you have a feel bad ending, but most other genres won't. So yeah. anytime a movie has an ending this like relentlessly bleak and gross, I'm like, fuck, just like, like inject that shit right into my veins i love it uh (laughs) i i don't know how i feel about the whole kind of awakening of the patty the the young woman in the movie um i'm gonna go out and say uh insensitively perhaps i don't hate it i think it's fine I think it's interesting, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I wouldn't, I don't think I would have brought it up if, if, if it was not interesting. But then again, I can, I can have a weird radar sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I'm bringing it up just because I thought like, it, see, it happens so fast. And when she says what she says to, uh, to Tom, like, we get no reaction from the mother. We get no sort of exploration as, as to like what's going to happen beyond that. I mean, we it's it's easy to assume, hundred percent, but it's just like it's shot in this weirdly soft focused light, mm-hmm. and, it, and it looks and it looks probably more dreamlike than the rest of the movie. It's shot in kind of a similar fashion to the scene where the mother and uh, Sting's character are like praying over the daughter. And like, in reality, they're just praying like normal, but in like this kind of fantasy, it's, there's like all the like blue light and lightning and all this stuff. And um, I don't know, I, I, I assume probably you guys noticed this because actually that's my favorite scene in the movie because it's so, actually that one's cool. Um, yeah. So when she asks him to pray and they both like kneel down, the first thing that he says is actually like the first line of um, the witch's speech in Macbeth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
I don't know. I did, I, well mi- I, I missed that, that one, but but no, that's a it's good uh, hold on. Yeah, no, that um, uh, is really in, or is hold on. It's it's not like it's not from the little like chant they have. It's the like um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but uh, I, I'm googling the googling it because that is yeah it's the when shall we three meet again in thunder lightning or in rain that's the that's like the first thing with the witches and Macbeth. and i don't totally understand the significance of it being that particular line but i think it is a good signifier that like i mean there are the three of them there there's sting the mother the, Mm -hmm. the daughter but I think it's an interesting little signifier that something is like deeply fucked. Uh, yeah. It's also like, it's not like he's doing the full, like, you know, fire burning cauldron bubble that like yeah. everyone is immediately going to go, oh, that's Macbeth. Um, mm-hmm. It's that when shall we three meet again, which like, yeah, like it's not exactly a Shakespeare deep cut, but it's like a level deeper than like just what's immediately recognizable. Okay. And I thought I thought that was cool. I liked that a lot, and I, I liked the interplay between the reality of it's just they're praying, and then this like wild like dream kind of thing. And the, the I like like I I like that you mentioned earlier, like how it kind of cuts between and a lot of sequences and kind of plays with the reality of it. Like mm-hmm. you cut between the dad's dream and ostensibly or or not ostensibly and presumably Sting. Sting's character's dream where he's like yes. going through Patty's room and just like trashing it and like just being just being naked and hot and looking at 45s and new wave posters and yeah. Yeah. And then there and, and then and, and then there and then yeah, then he like throws a bunch of bras and panties all over himself. And then I don't know who the mysterious woman he's with in his dream is. I don't really think we're we're given much there, but um, or is that supposed to be Patty? Because I couldn't. I mean, I, I no. I it's could... Sing's dream. It's Patty. Is it Patty? Okay. Yeah, it's Patty. Because I think I thought I thought that woman had curly hair, but that's. I watched it this morning, and it's been a day, so I could be misremembering. Um, I think it's the same. It's just I think her hair is styled differently. Okay. Okay. But um, yeah, and then like I, the 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 things that are happening in similar positions, it's 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 odd. But oh, you know, I I've got something else. Denholm Elliott's dream. The woman yeah. he's with. Anybody else get that? Anybody else get that? That's just an older version of my daughter. Um, it's vibe. supposed to be the secretary. But no, I know, I know that, I know that. The, yeah, I can see that because he has that they, this weird. I feel like he has this weird, like almost like borderline inappropriate thing with his like his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, like the scene where he objects, like he is correctly objecting to uh, Sting's character Martin just like being there to be like her caretaker when they don't really know right. who he is, and like you know, do you really want to leave your daughter with like a guy you don't really know? 
but yeah. like the way he like talks about it is like super gross and mm-hmm. then the um the mother's like you you know you always controlled what she wore and he's like well she just has to be presentable and it's like even her you know, like even her bras and underwear and it's like uh yeah that's weird they don't really go into it much further but it's definitely like that's like like controlling what your child wears like to a certain extent is somewhat normal like when they're you know young when they're Uh, young yeah when they're young um but when they're old enough to like really make their own choices on clothing and you're like going down to like making sure that your daughter is wearing like decent underpants it's like that's creepy that's that's a that's a boundary that probably shouldn't be like crossed so i thought that was kind of curious too uh i guess really the only character who's like even sort of sympathetic in this other than patty um is uh the mother to a certain extent but she's also just like so naive Mm -hmm. like impot like i'm to a point where i'm like okay, I understand that this is, like, a fable, basically, so these characters aren't really behaving in, like, ways that, they're not supposed to be, like, super believable as people, because it is, like, a fable, so it's this heightened kind of, almost like a morality play, Um, which also was, I think, an interesting, like, one of the reasons I don't think that this would be why this would be why I think it should be remade but also why I think it would be hard to be to remake is I could see directors going in either one of two directions like you know not with it where they either kind of take out the folkloric and kind of fable elements of the story and try to make it just like a straight dramatic film and I don't think that would work very well um or where they try and make it like too black and white Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like th- this this movie thrives on gray, like a hundred percent of the time. And I'm just I'm just sort of realizing, I don't think I'm j- I'm just sort of realizing about the dream getting back to the dream sequences because it's really haunting me at this point. Um, I think uh, Denholm Elliott. I think they're just his dreams. They're not Sting's dreams. Oh, you know what? They're, they're not clear. Yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, I think so he's and, projecting like his sexual indiscretions are his one part of his nightmare and the other is that like someone else might take advantage of his daughter. But then right. also like there seems to be a hint of like kind of like jealousy there. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you can interpret the dream sequences as either being just the father's or like in an intercut between his in Sting's characters, I don't think it really signposts which is the correct interpretation of that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Also, which, kind of the beauty, kind of the beauty of which it, I but, like, yeah. and I think <laughs> I think a lot of people would be tempted to make it a, a a lesser, like if a lesser director were to make this movie. Not that the director here is like phenomenal or something, but I think that there are some good instincts. I think if sure. you gave this to like like a mid or kind of shitty director they would want to make everything too clear cut mm-hmm. um which would be bad uh, yeah I, I, very well. if, you, if you clear this up it misses the point in several ways i think um 
but uh but yeah yeah i'm starting to really like this movie now this is weird you know i had this experience uh why are you doing this to me maddie (laughs) i had this experience on another podcast um hit factory where uh we talked about event horizon and i went into it where i'm like i don't think it's actually really good i just like it and then by the end of the podcast we had all talked ourselves to be like no this isn't this isn't like a weirdly compelling six out of ten this is actually a ten out of ten film um and i don't think i would go i don't think i would go quite that far with brimstone and treacle because there are definitely things where i could say like yeah like even for the time the, the the filming of it is the cinematography is like it's okay it's not like markedly terrible but it's also not like great and there was some great cinematography in films in this time period oh 100 the acting like it works because the whole thing is has a lot of artifice to it but it also like could still be better oh sure yeah like i'm not i'm i'm yeah this conversation isn't making me all of a sudden think this is even a seven. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not. I'm, I think. I think if I were if I were to give this a rating out of ten, uh, and I and I'm not the biggest fan of doing that, but I would. Yeah, pro- it would probably be. It would probably be in the more entertaining four to five than you know hitting on the the six, seven, or eight. It's see. I'm Go gonna ahead. put it at. Before I started talking about it with y'all, I would have put it at maybe like a five. After mm-hmm. I've been talking to it, I'm going to say it's probably like about an eight. Okay. That's fine. Uh, Subjectivity is fine. Yeah. I, I, I can see room for improvement, but what is there, I really appreciate. I appreciate that it has... Um, it is about morality while still having a level of moral ambiguity, which I appreciate because a lot of things that are about morality end up becoming very like babies first, you must black do and white, this. and really boring. Yeah. Um, didacticism is usually uh, not great in anything longer than like an Aesop's fable. Mm. Um, then, so like, I think it has a lot of thematic things that are very interesting. I like that it, is about morality but isn't is is willing to still be morally ambiguous there are a lot of ideas in the way that it's filmed like the cross-cutting between the different dream sequences and the cross-cutting kind of between reality and uh kind of the 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 heightened emotionality uh i like that um i like that it's weird and i like that it's gross and i like that it's just like grotty and uncomfortable um and I like that Sting is still really hot in this movie, even though he's like a gross dirt bag. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say something stupid, but I'm just not going to say that. But, it, <laughs> but, but yes, Sting is remarkably gorgeous in this movie. <laughs> uh, Jesse? Yes. Your silence has me thinking uh, that you're like, what are these? What film did these two watch? <laughs> no, no, uh, I, I, I didn't have any word to add anything. But I do think there's a there is an idea that a movie can be bad but enjoyable because I, I I've been going through all the Spider-Man movies leading up to the new one, um, and I never saw Amazing Spider-Man two until this time. 
and I watched it and I enjoyed the movie, but I know for a fact it's not a good movie. So when I was rating it, it was like, I wrote it at like two and a half on Letterboxd because I, I try to keep track of my movies, but I mm-hmm. still put under liked movies because I enjoyed it. So I think that's kind of where this movie sits, where it's like this movie like out of 10 is probably like a three or four for me, but it's a three or four that I would like to watch again at some point. It's not a yeah. three or four that I don't I want to forget about. Yeah. Cause I because I think there's something redeemable about a movie trying, uh, even if it doesn't work, it's still trying. I would um, I, personally rather see a movie try and then like sort of fall on its ass a little bit yeah, and do exactly. like the whole like I'm just gonna play it totally safe. Like there's not gonna be anything that's um nothing nothing in this movie would offend like anyone except for like the most unreasonable of pearl clutchers. Like I'm not gonna do anything like that. I'm not gonna do like anything that's ambiguous or ambitious or weird. Like I don't there's too many movies like that. I'm not interested in them. I'd rather see something that's that's weird and uh, aims for something higher than it can reasonably reach. Sure, I I agree with you. I agree with you 100 there. Like, I I would I would much rather see someone swing at the fence and strike out than bunt and hit every time. Yeah, it's one of those things where like you can play it safe and have like an average movie. But would you rather watch a forgettable movie or a movie that's going to stick with you? And even if it's bad, if it sticks with you, it sticks with you. Um, There, there, I've definitely seen more movies that are in the bad range that I think about more often. Like, if we're being honest, I rewatched Evil Dead uh, in October in theaters. That movie's not good. It's not a good movie, but it's maybe one of the most entertaining movies to watch. Evil Dead. because you can just feel the raw creativity in that movie. But overall, yeah, Evil Dead is the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead one is I, I'm I'm the weird one who likes that one more than two because of its flaws and because yeah. of just how awkward and and how and because of its misses. Yeah, uh, and and because of its mess, like. I, and for some reason, like, yeah, two's fine. It, uh, it's like baseball. It's not about hitting the home run. It's just taking the biggest swing you possibly can. Oh, yeah. Forget, forget the, oh, I can get that guy on third home if I bunt. No, I want a home run. Yeah. Swing. And if you fail, you'll be least remembered for failing. <laughs> yeah. They ain't going to forget you. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm yeah. just very much uh, strongly team, like, you know, I would rather have something that's kind of wonky but interesting than something that's all basically competent but like bland and forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's some movies where like you go see them and then the second you're out of the theater, you're like, I don't remember a damn thing that happened in that yeah. movie. And oh, yeah. Brimstone and Treacle is absolutely not one of those movies. There will be like scenes from it that get like scoured onto your brain for better or for worse. <laughs> Oh yeah, not to not to not to not to overshare or anything, but um, uh, my wife is starting a new job and she wants me to write a bio. I'm very tempted to just mess with her and write like the sting prayer, just to see how oh my fun God. that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, no one will ever see that, and she'll be like, "Why are you so weird?" But that's that, that's why we love each other. <laughs> 
uh but but yeah like this movie will this movie makes an impression and i love that about it um so so yeah i actually i I posted about that i was watching this and uh one of my 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 mutuals on twitter who's the the guy who did uh i mentioned in bad bad books for bad people um Mm -hmm. so he he was like and i'm like damn i almost want to take you up on this uh his response is, was, if you want to do a monthly podcast just on that movie, I'm in. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, shit, I almost want to take you up on that. <laughs> I mean, you would do, like, the pod hand and, like, just kind of start pulling references and, like, explaining these sections. It's like, what is this referencing in a way? Like, Extremely deep dive. <laughs> dive into <laughs> the history of England at that time. Like, oh, like you, so you could treat But the oh, thing God. is, like, I love the idea that you Patches could do that England. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure if you wanted to dive into the, like Thatcherism, you could probably come up with some way that it's related to this movie. I am sure you could do it. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, but moving into the, the next thing before we wrap up is what has everybody kind of been watching since last time we talked? Uh, the Northman trailer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to see. Yeah. I want to see man hit man with axe. Really yeah. badly. I want to see live action Vin Man Saga so bad. Yeah, it looks sick. I'm I'm very stoked for it because uh, Robert Eggers is my boy. He is my favorite director currently working. Um, and it's it's not the only person who comes like pretty close is like Jennifer Kent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I definitely watched the Northman trailer. Very excited about that. Um, I've been watching more like trash TV than movies lately. Yeah, it uh, uh, I did watch this this shitty movie called The Pyramid last night. Like, it's fine. It's it's not very good. Um, I've been watching uh, Wheel of Time, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought that I would because I normally don't really like high fantasy all that much, and it's very cheesy. <laughs> But it's it's a lot of fun, actually. Um, knowing knowing what goes on in that when I read the first book and like what goes on future, the dark stuff in that book feel more matty than like the dark stuff in like Lord of the Rings or something like that. Yeah, there's some bits and pieces that I actually I have liked a lot. My husband's actually read the entire series, and uh, we're watching it together because he knows that I will never read the entire series of. It's a lot of pages. Because- uh yeah there's like what 12 of them and they're all like 14 and they're all like 600 pages yeah there's like 14 of them they're all at least like 600 plus pages and i'm like i'm sorry that was the kind of thing that maybe maybe i would have been able to plow through when i was like a teenager and didn't have friends and wasn't having sex but uh (laughs) that's absolutely not something i can do now as an adult with a full-time job in like a social life (laughs) or actually i have a part-time job now but I, yeah, uh, I have, yeah, I, I, have, I have shit that I do. Yeah, I, I, I came late. I, I heard about the Wheel of Time way too late, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I, yeah. I can't. May, may, if, if anything, like if I ever, if I ever get a, if I like, I, if I ever get in a position to where I can listen to them on audiobook, audiobook. Like that, that would be how I do it. But it would still probably take you like a while to finish those on audiobook. Ooh. 100 percent but like this is also i'm also a person who really wants to 
read like classics that I've never had the chance to read. So like, <laughs> Wheel of Time is far down my list of priorities. Yeah, it's, in terms of... um, I also watched the Amazon uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer series. Um, it oh sucks ass, uh, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's, it's literally awful. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's basically competently acted, but it's like the plot is so stupid. It's like we're gonna throw stupid twist after stupid twist after stupid twist and none of it really makes any sense uh and i had a great time with it cool it's extremely trashy like it's it's bottom of the barrel trash tea yeah I, I mean I, I never cared for that franchise in general so i, I that uh, my um my guilty pleasure in movies is uh, shitty teenagers getting owned. I mean, fair. That's a good. That, I, why, don't be guilty <laughs> about that. Don't. I mean, that's, that's not guilty. That, that's, that's like the pinnacle of uh, slashers, right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like I used to really hate slashers because I was like, well, they're just like on principle, they're just like violent, and and then I was just like, I think it, I think what really like turned me around on it was when I did student teaching in a high school and realized how much teenagers actually fucking suck and I'm like oh actually no seeing teenagers get owned is kind of cathartic oh yeah I think once I hit 25 I was like and and then I watched a slasher whichever one it would have been at that time I'm like oh this is nice I get it now yeah 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 kill them yeah kill them let the bad guy win (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i'm with you there uh so other than the northman trailer what have y'all been watching uh you want to go or you want me to go jesse you can go okay so my wife and i had a wonderfully weird movie marathon a couple of days ago uh we were scrolling through HBO while we were eating and I looked up and I saw Muppets take Manhattan and I'm like, let's watch the Muppets take Manhattan. So we watched the Muppets take Manhattan. And then I forgot. I'm, why am I forgetting what the second movie we watched was? Uh, anyway, Muppets take Manhattan is great. Um, if you've, if I do, I do like the Muppet movies. I will probably continue to like them. Uh, long after, if I ever have kids, uh, long after they are adults and saying, man, you are weird, dad. Um, But, uh, oh, and then we watched uh, Dunkirk. And so Dunkirk is not a bad movie. Uh, I, I think that I think that it's easily a, a slam dunk for I, I don't remember if it won best picture or if it was just nominated it's probably nominated I don't think it won uh, but it's I like have a, sl- a personal grudge against Dunkirk I haven't seen it but it beat the lighthouse for cinematography and that was bullshit uh, I you know having seen both in the last couple of months I see why because Dunkirk is an easier movie to look at and I think Dun- like, Dunkirk is a, is a solid film. It's, it would probably be someone's favorite film as long as they've not seen a lot of movies. Uh, and I'm not saying this is like some sort of elitist thing, but because I saw a ton of references to just other movies, be they war movies or otherwise. Yeah. Like. Oh, it's the whole like, 
I get you. Or sometimes you're watching a movie and then it reminds you of a better movie. And then you're like, well, this is pretty good. But also the thing I'm being reminded of is actually better. Yeah. It's it's like, I mean, like the whole ending with the, with the pilot gliding, like, I'm like, that's just the right stuff. Like the right stuff is a better movie than this. I'm sorry. There's you're, you're not going to, you're not going to convince me otherwise. Um, but it, it, so I had a lot of that happening. Uh, but like, was it entertaining for two hours? Sure. We ended our night watching Clueless, uh, a movie that I'd not seen in a while, but I, but I, well, I, I'll say I did love it. I don't think Clueless holds up very well. I've never uh, seen it. Um, worth it's worth a watch. It's it's actually it's way more fun than it will ever appear. And I I remember being dragged to see it you know, in high school, because uh, I, I was, I, I had, I had found a, a girl that wanted to take me on a date and uh, we went and saw Clueless and I'm like, okay, this is, this is, this is actually good. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, mostly I could, ju- I just see who these characters grew up to be. And I think, nine times out of 10, these characters grow up to be shitty people. Um, despite how earnest and, you know, it's a nice take on the Pygmalion, my fair lady thing. Uh, but, but yeah, I think a lot of these characters grow up to be shitty people, not the actors or actresses because Paul Rudd's in it and Paul Rudd's amazing. Um, but I think the, I think Cher as a character grows up to just be a Karen uh same thing with with dion <clears throat> and then so that was that was what i've been watching other than that uh and this is your fault maddie uh i've been reading more berserk and listening to camel <laughs> yes <laughs> so 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 yeah you're, you're living the good life brother something I feel a lot better it's weird uh jesse yes what you been watching, sir? I finished the Fox Noir collection on Criterion. I don't want to talk about all of those because it's like seven movies I watched. Only seven? Um, oh, you can do it. I believe in you. Yeah, I don't want to talk about all of them, though. But I do want to talk about <laughs> Ni- uh, Niagara, which is a uh, neo-noir, not neo-noir. Eh, yeah, not neo-noir, but still a noir movie um, that stars the lovely uh, Marilyn Monroe. Um, yes. I think that might be one of my favorite um female-led uh noir movies i've ever seen not that i've seen a ton of those because there aren't like a ton of those um but it's just like the the vibe is so palpable from like the start of that movie and it just doesn't really let go um so i think that's that was a lot of fun and then i I, we talked about it but i saw the new spider-man movie and i thought it was a lot of fun um i'm not gonna say anything to spoil anything but uh i think to balance something that has such nostalgia and then also kind of set it kind of on the correct course. Like some people don't think it's on the right course. So it's kind of sending it on a correct course is kind of interesting. That movie has a hard time balancing like five movies within the MCU already. And then mm-hmm. tackling another six movies kind of on top of it. Um, so that that's super interesting. Uh, there, there was something about Spider-Man though that I wanted to bring up. And I can't remember what it was. I didn't see that stupid... Uh, um matt damon crypto commercial in the trailers again and that made me happy nice 
Oh, that that's what it was. I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, though. I think we talked about it. But that movie also relies heavily on nostalgia to the point that it gets kind of sickening at times. I think it's overall a fine movie. But this one balanced that nostalgia in a way that, like, felt natural to the story's needs mm-hmm. and battled with the ideas that superhero movies have kind of been struggling since the beginning of the modern superhero movie. Um where Ghostbusters Afterlife kind of was like, hey, you guys remember Ghostbusters 1? <laughs> like, th- this movie does say, hey, do you remember those Raimi movies? But, it, like, it doesn't just say, remember how perfect those Raimi movies were? It goes, like, you remember, like, how these movies kind of, like, failed their 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 villains in some ways and kind of failed their heroes in some ways? And kind of tackles that in, uh, in, in the most interesting way a Marvel movie is allowed to do with Disney still owning them <laughs> okay also some of the best acting i've seen tom holland do and it makes me kind of want to watch that uncharted movie <laughs> yeah like uncharted i'm a sucker for I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for uh uh adventure movies like i like national treasure i like um the the indian jones movies a lot and so mm-hmm. like honestly adventure movies are kind of in short supply yeah and and even even if mark Wahlberg's terrible um i think tom holland's fun i think that's gonna be a fun time overall i would actually love to see tom and i I didn't see double all the time and maybe i should say yeah i I need to watch it too because robert pads it and i was like i need to watch that yeah I, i like both of them i would love to i my hope for Tom Holland is that when he's done playing Spider-Man, he will have gotten his bag and made all of the money that he could possibly ever want to and will pull a Robert Pattinson and just do weird little movies. I mean, it's kind of where he started and I think he might go back to it because he made a lot of like kind of offbeat character driven films before that he got picked to be Spider-Man. So, so yeah, that's all I've been watching. Maddie, where can people find you on the internet? Um, so you can find me on twitter at devil's doorbell underscore i have a gumroad stop shop that's also at devil's doorbell but i think it doesn't have the underscore i don't know try both ways um i co-host a podcast called the pod hand which is about horror dark fantasy grim dark and kentaro mira's berserk um, and it's wonderful thank you and that that i i uh, co-host that with my friends Kay and jr um they can be found at goblin nun and at corgi hell respectively and uh i've also got like guests i i'm i'm a podcast slut i've got guest appearances on a bunch of different things uh the most recent one that'll be coming out sometime soon maybe before this one or maybe a little bit after i am going to be on um Podside Picnic talking about uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Nice. Which I also watched Ooh. recently, uh, which is uh, the finest French film that is bad, but actually like really good. Like it, it fucks, it rocks. It's so good. Either we talked um, about it on Twitter together or you mentioned it last podcast, but I know I, I, we've, we've, we've at least talked about it at some point that I need to watch it. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh-huh. What's that? It's what a... It's a I'm, 2000, you know 2001 French movie. I just uh, realized what I'm th- I'm thinking of Hour of the Wolf by Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, uh, no, those are, they're very different things. Uh, one of them is actually smart and good. And the other one is very stupid, uh, but rocks. <laughs> and the other one is Brotherhood of the Wolf. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, um, real quickly before before we uh, put our stuff out there and get out of here, I've heard you guys mention it this episode. What's the devils? Oh, um, oh my uh, god! Matt, Matt, you better explain. It. I didn't get to watch it because they took because it off, uh, you said Ken Russell, and I love his version of Tommy, and I that's the only thing I've seen of his. Well, so, you know, you know, we no, should do an episode. Yeah, on I was about to say, so let's put a pin in that. And like sometime <laughs> okay. in 2022, while I'm adding on again, and we'll do that movie. Um, okay. Yeah, oh no, I have to watch movies again. Oh no. <laughs> I have to watch messed it's up a movies. Ken Russell again. film with starring uh, Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave that the Catholic Church got big mad about because it correctly uh, and act. Uh, more or less accurately showed off the Catholic Church's bad behavior in a uh, possession case and witchcraft trial in Loudun in France in, I want to say, the 16th century, either 16th or 17th century. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, do, I, I do like pissing off Catholics, so I think <laughs> I have to watch this movie. Um, yeah, it's... Um... No, Bagel, so, don't argue. I'm watching this movie. It's not my favorite movie. It's in my top three. It's probably the second. It's my second favorite movie. However, it's the best movie I've ever seen. Nice. It's not my number one, but it is the best. It, it, you're, I think, believe you said on the last, the last time you were on, your number one is The Witch, right? Yes. Or is that just your favorite horror movie? That's just my favorite movie, period. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Fair. Yeah. yeah. My, my top three are The Witch, The Devils, and Kill List. Well, <laughs> and, and I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, the Northman trailer. In fact, the, the gentleman who does our theme song, uh, we were talking about the Northman trailer and he's like, you should, you, you should see the lighthouse and the witch if you haven't. I'm like, I've seen the lighthouse like twice this year. And I love it, but uh, I have not seen the witch. So I have to see that. Uh, so that's another one we're going to put a pen in because uh, <laughs> when rocks. the Northman comes out, we will do the trilogy. We will do Eggers month. <laughs> and, and somehow we will either all see the Northmen together or we'll just all see the Northmen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Down. I'm down. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at infinite underscore rewind on Twitter. Um, and I also host two other podcasts, both of which are on break right now, but they will be back shortly after 2022 begins. I host a podcast where friends of mine and I talk about video games that we're playing. It's called Story Route Zero. We just we did a whole bunch of game of the year stuff. You should listen to it because we all we all put a lot of work into it and we really had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, the other one is uh, Trivial Merit, where I host with Jesse's and my mutual friend Caroline. We create playlists uh, that go from a negative headspace to a positive headspace by using the catalog of a band or just a genre of music and caroline and i have tons of fun doing that exercise with bands even if we're not the most familiar with them because we did a bunch this season that neither of us were like 100 percent fans of a lot of the time like i know with uh with a lot of we did one on Dolly Parton where we basically had to go through her catalog and both of us knew who she was, but didn't know a lot of her music. And that was really fun to do. Uh, but that's where you can find me. 
and you can find I, ta- me. I, ta- I talk a lot about a whole lot of not important stuff yeah you're good um you can find <laughs> me on twitter at sleeper of the bed and that's most places uh, i have also one other podcast called white comics it's also on break until the new year and the new year brings new changes that you will see um uh, hopefully january 1st um really matthew, excited for those <laughs> yeah matthew knows what they are um uh, matthew who does our theme song uh my buddy jason he goes by the name dead eye that's d-e-a-d dash the letter i all caps uh he just released his album called bloodshed kingdom in the past few months it's great instrumental reggae album uh jason is very talented and i'm in awe of the work that he does uh he did uh release uh an album prior with his buddy ben under the name hope street steppers also instrumental reggae but both uh both albums do have their references um the hope street steppers album black lightning is more cinematic whereas uh i do believe bloodshed kingdom has a lot of anti-catholicism stuff going on in it so so uh hitting for the cycle in terms of pissing off catholics (laughs) what's that new nun movie that just came out benedetta and i'm so pissed i was gonna go see it and then didn't get the chance to before it left theaters here yeah, I still want to see that. Um, uh, it's Paul Verhoeven, and Paul Verhoeven is kind of the goat. He's oh yeah, Paul Verhoeven's very good. Well, I've seen some bad Paul Verhoeven movies. Okay, if you're gonna say Showgirls is bad, it's not, and you're wrong. No, Showgirls, Showgirls is great. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Good. No, 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 no. We no, can remain no. friends. No, no. I mean, look, Maddie. I don't. I, I know you don't know me very well. I am very stupid. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Girls has one of the coolest posters of all time. Oh yeah, it's it's very smartly done, and Elizabeth Berkeley was done dirty by that movie. Um, not in well, actually not by the movie, but by the reception to that movie. The incorrect uh, reception to that movie. Yes, everyone expecting, like I think everyone was expecting Boogie Nights, but they got Showgirls, and this is what happens when you project. You Showgirls is closer to Hustlers than it is Boogie Nights. uh hustler like paul newman the, the hustler no 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 the hustlers the um jennifer lopez movie i've seen it so i wouldn't know two years ago oh, i haven't seen it either never mind um put a pin yeah. in that no <laughs> um you can find Jesse, take show, us out of here <laughs> you can find show on twitter at free reeling it you can uh, email us about your thoughts about all the movies that we've watched at freewheeling it at gmail.com um, remember everybody, uh, don't, don't have affairs. It's never good. Things, no, bad it's things, bad. Bad things happen. It invites, it invites the devil into your house and into your bed. <laughs> <laughs>